Immediately following the service, the family invites you to uh, a luncheon in the church community room. And I know that they would appreciate it if you can stay and and, uh, fellowship together with them during the meal. Give them a little more of a chance to visit with you. Also, uh, in the middle of the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to uh, share some brief remembrances of Ruth. You may want to be thinking about that and uh, preparing for uh, a brief story or just something that, um, that is in your heart and mind about how Ruth, Ruth touched your life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you also shall live. We have gathered here today to praise God and to witness our faith as we celebrate the life of Ruth Hutton. We come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss. During this hour, may God search each of our hearts, that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, in death, resurrection. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you that even in the face of death, we experience you as the giver of all life. We come today to commend into your hands your servant, Ruth. Father, she is a sheep of your fold, a lamb of your flock, a sinner of your redeeming. And we pray that you will receive her into the arms of your mercy, into the blessed rest of your everlasting peace, into the glorious company of the saints light. In this hour together, as we commend her to you, speak into our hearts. Help us to worship you with all of our being. Help us to hear your words of grace and comfort through the love of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
scripture today is from the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And the title of the section, Made Alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, and made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. At evening, one labor completed, the joy of sacrifice, a life given to perfecting work, shines like sunlight in the evening. Faithful still, promised to new work ahead. The darkness opens reveals a universe of suns dancing in the sky. We find delight. Our feet on the earth, our hearts in the heavens, our grace has been to step in time. We learn the end is good. The light whirling in the dark is the light of dancers joined, found lost in a pattern of praise.
As the oldest of Ruth Hutton's 26 grandchildren, I've been nominated to share some thoughts and memories of our grandmother on behalf of all of her grandkids. Um, that's 26 grandchildren still living on this earth. Three more have preceded her into heaven. And I know that Gloria Hutton, Charity Pullen, and Hannah Hutton are there with her now. Though many of us have been able to gather here this weekend, others weren't able to make the trip from locations as far flung as Granada, Scotland, and Seattle, and many other locations. My cousin Alistair is one of those who was unable to attend, but he's asked me to read some of his memories about Grandma, and I'll do that now. Although I have fond memories of visiting Grandma from an early age, I was a bit of a problem child and she was less than impressed with my behavior at times. <laughs> I must have been about five or six at the time, but can still remember when Grandma told me to stop sticking my finger through the seat on her kitchen chairs. <laughs> Being five years old, I ignored her, and without realizing it, single-handedly turned a comfortable chair into a bottomless one. At the sight of what I had done, she quickly grabbed the chair from me, gasped, and then scolded me for my foolish behavior. Those chairs are still around her table today, so she must have really liked them. Um, but it was my four years at Houghton that gave me an opportunity to spend more time with her and see a different side. She was so generous to me even when I didn't feel like I deserved it. Whether it was having me up for Sunday dinner, giving me a quiet place to study, or a place to play my bagpipes, she was always accommodating. She even let me borrow her van to go up to Buffalo or go skiing on weekends with friends. I was so undeserving of something like that. But for her, all she wanted in exchange was to spend some time with her grandson, hear about what had been going on with his life, and to give him encouragement. After I had graduated, I still made frequent trips down to Houghton. Even unannounced, I'd show up, and Grandma knew exactly what I wanted. I didn't even have to ask. I'd find her in her chair. She would look up, up at me, smile, and say, There's always a bed made for you downstairs. Hospitable. Faithful and caring is what I'll remember my grandma as. I am so glad I got to see a different side of my grandma the last few years and to look forward to one day seeing her again. And I have many memories of Grandma Hutton. And as I've reflected over the last few days on what to share, I came to a humbling realization. I was spoiled by my grandmother. She didn't give me lots of extravagant gifts, candy, and toys, though I certainly got some childhood, birthday, and Christmas presents. She didn't give me lots of money, uh, though she did give a little bit to help pay for my higher education, as my grandparents tried to do for all of their grandchildren. Grandma's scholarship, she called it, and it showed just how much she valued our education. She was all about education. How she really spoiled me so it was by giving me lots of time and attention. And as the oldest of the grandchildren, and one of the few that grew up here in Houghton, I recognized that I received far more than my fair share of Grandma's time and attention. Life isn't fair. And I know that I didn't do anything to earn that extra exposure to Grandma's love. So I want to acknowledge it as a kind of grace, an undeserved blessing, and share some of that experience with all of you, and especially with my younger cousins. Grandma's house was always a welcoming place. 
heard uh, Alistair's memories. Uh, And from my earliest childhood, I always looked forward to visiting her there. She was always happy to see me, just as she was always thrilled to see any of her grandchildren. I remember sitting in her lap while she read Bible story books to me, and later, the Chronicles of Narnia. I remember helping Grandma mow the lawn at the Robbins' house by riding with her on the lawn tractor. I doubt having a five-year-old sitting on her lap made that task any easier, but it was certainly a thrill for me. I remember being more helpful by assisting with my younger sisters on the few occasions when my parents left us with Grandma and Grandpa for a couple of days when they went on a trip. I remember going into the woods and helping Grandma stack in rows the firewood that Grandpa cut and split. I remember family reunions where Grandma positively reveled in being surrounded by children, grandchildren, siblings, cousins, nieces and nephews, and other extended family. I remember stopping at Grandma's house on the way home from the academy and how happy she always was to see me. Sometimes she would let me watch afternoon cartoons, and sometimes I would listen to Rush Limbaugh on the radio with her. (laughs) I remember riding in the car with Grandma and Grandpa and listening to them argue about whether to take the shortcut on the way to Rochester. She always told him that she didn't want to take the shortcut, and of course, he always took it (laughs) because it was a shortcut. I also remember listening to Grandma talk about meeting Grandpa in Vermont. Apparently, the other woman in the Bible teaching program she was with warned her to watch out for that Hutton boy, who was a real charmer. I guess he really was. Um, She told me that when they married, she was content with the prospect of living the rest of her life as a Vermont farm wife, but that she also really thanked the Lord that they had been able to move back to Houghton and raise their family here. I remember seeing Grandma and Grandpa walk across town holding hands and hearing her express her appreciation for how he had done some thoughtful project for her, such as build her new flower beds. If you knew her, you know that Grandma had strong opinions and liked to be in control of the situation. So I also remember some severe scoldings when I misbehaved as a child and some arguments as I grew and matured and learned to express my own opinions. Yet even then, it was clear that Grandma wanted what she believed was best for me and for all the members of her family. She prayed daily for each of her grandchildren and reminded me of that fact many times. She spoke to me often of her faith in God, her love of Christ, and how much she wanted all of her children and grandchildren to love and follow the Lord. As I noted before, Grandma was always overjoyed to see any of her grandchildren. And that continued from the day I was born up through last week. I last saw her about a month ago, and when I came into the room, her eyes lit up with this usual sparkle, and I gave her a great big hug. I didn't do anything special to deserve Grandma's love, time, and attention, but I tried to return it with my own investments of time and attention to express my love to her. She loved all of her grandchildren, all of her children, and she was always glad to see each of us and to lavish time and attention on us when she could. As we've gathered here over the last couple of days, it's already been a blessing to spend time together while we remember 
remember Grandma. I know that she is happy now to see us spoil each other a little bit with some of that love and attention and time. And she is sharing that from heaven. Mom gave me an assignment. She told me what to say to you today. (laughs) Yes, she did. And I will in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you what a privilege it has been for me to be with Mom and Dad these past number of years. God made it possible for me to develop a special relationship with mom, almost like sisters. After all, we did everything together. We developed, for instance, a special way to blow a kiss. You could call it a pat a kiss. Each of us would kiss our fingers and pat the other's cheek and then laugh. When I would get her all tucked in her recliner, I'd lean over and we touch foreheads, and I'd say, I love you, Mom. And she'd say, I love you, too. Her smile made me smile. In the file, I found a gem of a note from Doc Joe, who described Mom as so alive and enthusiastic, like a ray cutting through dullness. Her bright eyes and smile still did that. Recently, Mom was trying to tell me how much more freedom I'd have without her. But I insisted, you're my best friend. I love spending time with you. Some of our favorite times together were just sitting at the kitchen table. Mom finishing her scrambled eggs, tea, eggnog. And I would be reading. Together, we'd watch chickadees and juncos at the bird feeder. Oh, look, there's a cardinal. Or late afternoon, we'd see a deer or two or more passing by their usual route behind the house and down over the bank. We should tell the hunters, Rod and Willard, how many deer we saw today, she would say. I knew she was feeling well when she would ask for the jumbo word puzzle from the newspaper. It was always a team effort. Mom would unscrabble the four words, and I'd saw the the picture riddle. Sometimes when Mom was in the recliner, our dog Susa would come, lean against her chair, look up for Mom to pet her. Mom loved that dog. I even heard her once refer to herself as grandma to the dog. (laughs) We've been in crisis times together. Almost two years ago, 
May 20th. We were a little bit late for church. Parked right out front here. I got out, but she didn't. Nothing could prepare me for seeing her suddenly, completely paralyzed on the left side, eyelids, lips drooping. I was with her less than three hours later at the Strong Memorial Emergency Room. She was still flaccid on the left. I was on the phone with Willard when suddenly I exclaimed, she moved her arm. I was with her six miraculous days later at granddaughter Esther Pullen, now Kibby's wedding. I was with her last January when she fell inside at the back door and broke her hip. I was trying to help her as she was in great pain until the ambulance came. For some unexplainable reason, I told her, Mom, just lay still. It's lie, she corrected. I didn't realize when she fell and broke her rib three weeks ago that we were approaching her final days. On Saturday, two weeks ago, we were sitting at the kitchen table, and she was talking, praying, really, out loud. Heavenly Father, please take me home. If you want me to stay a little longer, so be it. Jesus, I want to come home. From then on, her tone changed. It's, it's as if she knew God was going to answer her prayer. I didn't realize the following Tuesday that it was our final trip to the hospital. But I can see now that she knew. When they moved her from the emergency room to admit her to a regular floor, she was saying the doxology. Then... As they were settling her in her room, she was declaring her faith out loud. I'm going to heaven not because I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because Jesus is my Savior. She even asked a young nurse who came to help her, Do you believe in Jesus with all your heart? With a sweet face and warm smile, the nurse answered, I believe in Jesus with all my heart. When someone else came to draw blood, my, my mom heard that word and said, I'm going to heaven because of the blood of Jesus. I can see now that mom was forging ahead. Last Friday, mom went peacefully. Just the way she had always wanted to go. Quietly slipped away, physically unaware. And now, back to my assignment. Sometime during the last year, maybe spring or summer, in the middle of the night, during a time of wakefulness, Mom must have been talking or praying out loud. I heard her, so I got up to see what she wanted. Today, and all of us, 
must have been on her mind because she essentially dictated what she wanted me to say to you. I knew I had to write it down before I fell back to sleep, and I did. The best that I can remember, here's what she, we want, she wanted me to say to you. When people come together to celebrate my death, that sounds strange to say celebrate, remember, I'm not dead. I'm alive in Jesus. I've gone to loving arms of the Heavenly Father. My friends will miss me very much. You will miss me because you would like to talk to me. You can talk to Jesus. I'm not worried about dying. How old am I? 91? I'm not worried if I don't get to 92. I don't know why I'm still here, why he has kept me here. Jesus has a purpose. When my mind is right, I spend a lot of time praying for loved ones, that they acknowledge Jesus and claim Jesus as Lord. It's hard to think about dying after living such a long life. Jesus always knows better than I. Way back when, I didn't think I wanted any more babies. Jesus knew better. It's the same now. It's what Jesus wants. Trust is a hard thing to understand. You can't hold on to it. It comes from wanting what Jesus wants. And I want what Jesus wants. When the time comes for me to take my last breath, that's not, a, that's not pleasant to think about. I am still with Jesus. Last week at Olean Hospital with Mom, during our last conversant night together, Mom asked me questions I believe she meant for all of us. Do you know where you're going? Do you love Jesus with all your heart? Mom's not dead. She's alive in Jesus. Gone to the loving arms of the Heavenly Father. She wants all of us to go there too. She wants all of us to trust Jesus.
Please be seated. I want to give you the opportunity, if you would like, to share uh, a brief word or a story of remembrance about Ruth. And if you are able, if you can come up here to the microphone in front, it would allow everyone to hear a little, little better. So I'm going to invite the, anyone who would like to start, uh, please come to the microphone. Becky and Seth, uh, your words were profound and important and significant. Um, but just your ability to stand up there and speak in these situations is the greatest walking legacy and tribute to your mother that you could have possibly offered. So what a beautiful, beautiful job. I owe a great debt of gratitude to Lyndall and Ruth Hutton and the entire Hutton family. Um, I've seen a few psychiatrists and psychologists about this. I'm not sure why I didn't spend my childhood at home. I assure you it wasn't the abuse of Vesta and Lawrence. They were very good to me. But by the time I came along, my older siblings were old, and they weren't much fun, and they didn't really do much with me. So I strayed. And one of the places that I strayed to was the Hutton home and the Greenways. And so I was really raised by all of those families, and that was a great part of my childhood. I still remember on a Saturday morning getting on my banana bike with my cool handlebars and screaming down to the Hutton home, and I would walk up the wooden steps from the basement, and there she'd be, and Ruth Hutton was a ferocious woman, and when I walked in that room on a Saturday morning, she would be sitting there at the end of the table, no one else in the room with her coffee cup. And I just knew that she ran the world. <laughs> and like all ferocious people, it's both great in terms of making us check our character and behave ourselves, but it was also a sense that nothing bad could happen because Ruth was in charge. And I always knew that I was safe when I was with her. She was a wonderful woman. I must confess that I grew up, I was about seven or eight in the time of the early 70s when women's liberation was very, very uh, active. And I got to confess that I didn't understand the entire concept because when I looked at Muriel Greenway and Sylvia Greenway and Ruth Hutton, I couldn't imagine women having any more power than they already had. <laughs> But they were wonderful, wonderful models of what it meant to be great people. And Willard went to the Houghton Academy, and I went to Fillmore. And so for a, a brief time, we didn't really see that much of each other. But in college, when I went back to college, and then my wife went to college, we didn't have a good first year. And I, as I said, owe Ruth a great debt of gratitude. She took Doris under her very strong and compassionate arm. And she lifted Doris up. And in many ways, she's the person responsible for getting Doris through that first year of college. And I'm greatly, greatly appreciative. And I just want to say thank you to Ruth, to Lyndall, to all the Huttons for all they've meant to us. Uh, Ruth, it is well with your soul. And because it was well with your soul, it can be for us as well. Thank you.
Sue Hutton. I'm um, daughter-in-law to Ruth and um, spouse of Tim. And the first time I ever met Ruth was in the fall of 1978, um, over the kitchen sink at the Hutton home. And uh, I remember being absolutely petrified. <laughs> and Tim has told many people over the years that's the only time in his recollection he ever remembers me being speechless. <laughs> And as Seth alluded to, um, we've had lots of happy times over the years with fa various family reunions with um, a very large extended family. And it was always very exciting to me because I'm an only child. Um, one year, so this was 10 years later, and this was in the fall of um, 88, we met on the shores of Lake Ontario in Alcott. A, there was a Bible um, conference ground there. And, we all gathered and, you know, Massachusetts, Arizona, you know, Mass um, New Hampshire, from all corners. And, uh, but it wasn't a regular family reunion. And Ruth thought it was until we played uh, the game of This Is Your Life. I, many of you will remember that old TV show. And it was, the, it was the celebration of her family celebration of her retirement. And she didn't know this until we're all gathered, sitting, we're going to have a little program, and in walks the bride, Ruth, um, played by Willard, in a blanket and a veil. Um, and there was the groom, Lyndall, played by Rod. And uh, anyway, the look on her face was priceless, and I remember that, that Ruth was speechless. <laughs> Um, through the years, we've come to respect and love each other for our love of family and our love of faith and also our very mutual love of Houghton College. And our whole family will miss her dearly. Thank you. During the four years that I went to Houghton College and the eight years where I went to Hutton College, I was known as Mrs. Hutton's EJ, the proudest thing I've ever heard of. One time when Nancy Joe was trying to make a, mother, a Mother's Day card, she decided that she'd make a card that reflected something that Mrs. Hutton had just been talking about. She had been telling us about how she captured Lyndall Hutton. And she talked in terms of family, but something that I think we need to look at today as we look at this family and realize what family meant to Mrs. Hutton, to also then think about what she felt was the key gift God had given her. She quoted, and Nancy Jo must have been eight, about when God said, I will take the solitary and put them in families. And we debated whether that meant lonely or solitary and she had a whole English teacher saying about it. But in the end, it was we decided that it was he will take the solitary and put them in families. It was about the, the promise was made by God at about the same time that he was promising a whole group of people that they would be his people. And we talked about the fact that we now were these people, but that he had spoken to individuals. She felt that God had taken her when she was doing those rounds and had her chosen as an individual to teach those children. And she had planned on being alone. 
and then he took her and put her in this family. So Nancy and Joe made all the brothers and sisters go out and get rocks, and some of them collected dust bunnies. Not that we didn't keep house really, really well, but um, and she glued them on a cardboard. So there's more than 26 in here because she had a rock for everybody that was in her family. And she glued them on this rock. And I've always thought about that, the fact that she took that theme related to this family, but she also extended herself to so many other people. I wouldn't be in America, I wouldn't have been a teacher, I wouldn't be here if she hadn't given me a house to stay in. So she, takes the, she took the solitary and put them in a family. But to a greater extent, she wanted to make sure that anybody who was in any solitary situation was put into God's family. And that was the most important thing. So some rocks for the grandchildren. There's more than 26, but you know, I don't had a chance to read the biographical notes in the program today, you'll notice that Ruth taught at Houghton for 26 years. Uh, I'm finishing my 26th year at Houghton, and I replaced Ruth Hutton. Hmm. Now, Ruth had intended to only teach here 25 years. Her plan originally was to, gradu- uh, to uh, retire in the, after the spring semester in 1987, but I had interviewed at Houghton, and I was within uh, a semester or two of finishing my coursework for my graduate program. So I contacted the department chair and said, is it possible at all that I could stay in my program for one more year? I can finish up my coursework, uh, get my committee together so that I can come to Houghton uh, ABD and and finish up. Graciously, Ruth agreed to teach an extra year so that I could stay an extra year in my program. And I still remember, and I think we all had these encounters with Ruth in her kitchen, Um, one of our visits to Houghton before we started teaching, my wife and I stayed with the Huttons. Uh, and we were sitting on the love seat in her kitchen, and she pulled the chair right up in front of Phyllis and me and said, you are coming to Houghton, aren't you? (laughs) And I think it was because she wanted us to come, but I think it was also because she was ready to retire. Uh, And she wanted to make sure that we were coming. Uh, For the last 23 years, my wife Phyllis and I have been blessed to be Ruth and Lyndall's neighbors uh, next door, and our kids uh, enjoyed having uh, Ruth and Lyndall next door. And over the years, many times I would see Ruth and I would say, you know, Ruth, you're looking well and rested. Uh, Would you like to pick up a class or two? I have a a section of public speaking I'd love to have you teach. Uh, And she would just smile and say, I think the department's in good hands. I'm I'm good. Uh, I hope that when I retire, I can be as gracious to whoever replaces me as Ruth always was on my behalf. I arrived at Houghton College in September of 1966. It's a long time ago. I was a 16-year-old freshman. Uh, didn't quite know what I was going to experience at college, but my first teacher was, guess who? It was Ruth Hutton. Uh, we had our differences, but as my sister has told me since about both my own mother and about my wife's mother, They're always right. And uh, I've had to work my way through that, but uh, I'm not sure I'd say always right, but almost always 
they were right, and I had learned a great deal. It was uh, nine years later, after four years at Houghton, and then being gone a year of law school, two years in the Army, being drafted, then back finishing law school, and then having been hired by uh, David Richardson to be a lawyer in Fillmore, that I arrived in town, and uh, Houghton Wesleyan Church is where I had gone in my years as a student, and I came during the summer, and uh, the person who greeted me, don't mean this as a criticism, but I was a newcomer and everybody else knew everyone, but I'd been gone for five years, and there was one person who saw me standing at the back of the uh, sanctuary and uh, came over and said, I don't believe I know you. That was Lyndall Hutton. And uh, he was very warm, very welcoming, and uh, little did I know that he would go back after that service and mention that day that he had met a new lawyer in town and uh, mentioned that to his oldest daughter, uh, who approximately a year and a half later became Nancy Jo Pullen. Uh, we have had a great deal of contact. The Huttons have been an important part of my life in so many ways. Uh, one of the things I would share is that Ruth Hutton did not believe in coincidences. Uh, she believes that God has a purpose in our lives and that he orders things. And one of the things, as I wasn't sure I would actually share anything today, but uh, the different things in the scripture, uh, in the songs that we have sung, the hymns, uh, I just want to share a couple of verses. It's John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Ruth had a confidence. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know where, you know the way to the place where I am going. That probably summarizes Ruth's greatest concern for every member of her family and every member of this community, every person gathered here today. Ruth loved the Lord, and she wanted to be with him, and she wanted all of us to be with him as well. And so I would say everything has drawn together. I don't believe it was a coincidence. That was important to her, and I would reiterate that, as usual, she was right. <laughs> I just had to come and say something about Ruth Hutton. She was a very special lady that meant a lot to me in my life. It started in 1982 when we first came to Houghton. She and Lyndall were helping us to look for a new house, and we ended up looking at the house right next door to them, the Burris house where the Gardies live now. And they were just thrilled to have us move in next door to them. They were so pleased to have somebody new coming onto their street. And they welcomed us with open arms. And we spent many happy days talking over, over the, well, there wasn't a fence, but uh, <laughs> talking in the driveway. Or we'd walk over and talk in her flower garden. Or sometimes she would invite us in. And it was a wonderful experience. It was kind of like a modern little house on the prairie type 
uh, of experience. I could readily imagine uh, Ruth being kind of like Laura Ingalls Wilder with her kitchen, and uh, we enjoyed talking about so many kitchen and homey things. I learned so much from Ruth. She also was still teaching while I was working at the college when I first came, and we would end up having lunch at the same time, and a group of us women would have lunch down in Big Al's, and it was so fun having lunch with somebody who was so much older than me, and that age difference didn't make one iota of difference to Ruth. She didn't care one bit about that, and she related to me as a friend, even though there was such a wide gap between our ages. I learned so much from her. She was so quiet, and sometimes her words would sting a bit. Sometimes she was funny. Sometimes she was really helpful. She would say, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> or, or she would say, have you thought about doing it this way? And, and I would think about it, and many times I would realize that she was right. Ruth was a really special person, and I thought at one point about five or ten years ago, I needed to tell her that. Well, one day, she came walking down the academy driveway, and I was out working in my garden. And so I went over to her, and I told her that she was just such a special person, that she was kind of like my aunt or, or um, somebody that had taken me under her wing, and I had grown so much. And she just laughed. She said, I, I had no idea that, that I meant so much to you. I was just doing what I always do, which, which is how she would understate how much she meant to people. She was a really special person to me, and I will truly miss her. Thank you. I had the privilege of many interactions with Ruth over many years, uh, particularly in the Sunday school class we shared. I was wondering if there are any of uh, Ruth's teachers who are still with us in this world, and then I realized, well, I guess officially, I'm one of them. I was a Sunday school class where I was the teacher, but I learned far more from Ruth than I was ever able to impart to her. Uh, the word that comes to mind whenever I think of Ruth is encouragement. She was just such an encouraging person uh, to me when I was a young father and faculty member, so encouraging. And I've been a grandfather and an old faculty member and continue to be encouraged by Ruth. Just one encounter I'll uh, mention to show you what Ruth's encouragement was like. Uh, early in our married life with small children at home, Debbie and I were privileged to be part of a small group Bible study with Ruth and Lyndall and Bernie and Pris Biersma. And we were studying one, uh, one period of time uh, Hebrews, the heroes of faith in Hebrews 10 and 11, and the wonderful example set for us in all of those folks. And then we got to the... That wonderful opening verse of Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every entanglement and every sin that trips us up, and run with perseverance the race that's set before us, looking always to Jesus, the one who began and will finish our faith. And as we were discussing that, we were thinking of some of the implications of being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and wondering what they would be 
thinking and saying when we stumbled and when we did stupid things, which happens a lot when you're a young faculty member and raising children. Uh, and Ruth put a stop to all of that. She said, no, the crowd of witnesses is there cheering us on, cheering us on. I've remembered that so many times, especially now that Ruth has joined that cloud of witnesses as the cheerleader among them all, cheering us on. Thank you. Okay, anyone else? All right, the second scripture passage today is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I will be reading from the message. Here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off, evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. Deep honor and bright glory to the king of all time, one God, immortal, invisible, ever and always. Oh, yes. I'm passing this work on to you, my son, Timothy, the prophetic word that was directed to you prepared for us for this. All those prayers are coming together now, so you will do this well, fearless in your struggle, keeping a firm grip on your faith and on yourself. After all, this is a fight we're in. As obvious from the stories that we have heard and from the remembrances that have been shared, Ruth is uh, someone who influenced so many lives. She's one of those people that when we come to a day like today, we realize just how many lives she really touched. In her more than 91 years, she left a legacy of goodness for so many of us. As I think back on, on her life and the things that she and I talked about through the years, it's obvious to me that, that her family was so important to her. She loved her children, grandchildren. She uh, loved talking about you. She cherished every time you came to visit. She was so proud of you. And of course, she and Lyndall had a very special relationship, married for more than 63 years. It's been hard these past few years with Lyndall's deteriorating health. But their commitment to each other was strong and loving and a gift from God. Recently, the, some of the family found a couple of notes that Lyndall wrote to Ruth. One of them said, To my loving wife on this Mother's Day, I want you to know you have been an outstanding mother for our six children. You have done much to help them to be the successful people that they are. The other note said, Dear Ruth, I am a most fortunate man to have had you as my wife these past 52 years. You have made my life more happy and fulfilled than it would have been otherwise. I thank God for bringing us together. I love you very much, Lyndall. Church was also very important to Ruth. She was raised in this church. For decades, she and Lyndall were pillars in this church. 
She served in a variety of ways. When the doors were open, they were here. When there was a need, she was one of those people to step in and to do what she could to meet the need. It seemed to me both ironic and fortunate that, as Becky said, she was on her way here at church when she had her stroke. I watched as all the doctors here helped her and and got her the care that she needed in that moment and and, uh, helped her then get to the, the hospital. And it was a huge accomplishment when she was well enough to come back to church. And I know that was very important to her. And despite how much it must have taken out of her, if there was any way for her to be here, she was. It was inspiring to look back and see her sitting in her wheelchair with Becky beside her, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Ruth loved her family. She loved the church. She just loved people. She influenced people by being a teacher. She prepared students to be taken seriously in a world that places great value on being able to communicate communicate clearly and accurately. I suspect there were a lot of doors open to her students because they knew how to write and speak from being in her classes. But her influence wasn't limited to just the moment of teaching. She was concerned about the spiritual condition of her students. She wanted them as, to know Jesus, live their life serving Jesus. She prayed for her students, corresponded with former students, was thrilled to hear stories of their lives and their journey with Christ and what God was doing in their lives. And it seemed that wherever Ruth went, whoever she encountered, she wanted people to know the love and the blessing of God in their lives as she did in hers. I have known Ruth for almost 18 years. And one thing that has been clear to me over and over and over again is that she was not just a teacher, but she was a lifelong learner. She was never satisfied with what she knew. She was never, never felt like she had completely arrived And that was particularly true in her walk with Jesus. I can't tell you how many times, even in the past couple of years, when she would exit the church and she would tell me something about the sermon that she was pondering. She would say, I hope I'm doing that to the best of my ability. Or I needed to hear that today. I'm asking God to help me with this. And she always seemed to realize that she was still on a journey. That there's always something new to learn, something in her life where she needed more of Christ, something that God might be telling her about how she might be a more effective disciple of Jesus. And that's important. Because on this day when we remember Ruth and her influence, ultimately we are here really. And we're able to say what we've been saying, not so much because of Ruth, but because of God. It's because of God in Ruth's life that grief and death don't have the last word today. It's because of of God in Ruth's life that though she is no longer with us, we know that she is with him. It's because of God in her life that we have complete assurance that though her death brings us great sorrow, it brings her release and freedom and joy. Despite our loss... We can't help but celebrate her gain. She is with her Savior. She is celebrating with her Savior. She has received her eternal reward. And we come to this time of grief with an underlying sense of 
celebration. What we do today has meaning and purpose in spite of our pain and grief because of God. God who is the almighty creator of all. God who is good and merciful. God who loves us so much that he would take on human flesh, willingly go to the cross and empower rise from the dead. It's because of God that we are here. And Ruth's life was all about God. And despite all the good things that we have said about Ruth, I guarantee you she would be the first to tell us that she probably wasn't as good as we might imply her to be. And that anything good in her life was because of God with her. She resonated with Paul's description here in Timothy of being an unworthy sinner. But she also resonated with Paul's gratitude for the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. I think if she could say anything to us today, I think it would be, God is good. You can trust him. Live in his love. Last Friday, just a couple of hours before Ruth died, Cindy and I went to the hospital to see her. Becky was there and we were talking and and Becky told us that in the past few weeks, before Ruth had had fallen into a, a state where she couldn't communicate anymore, that she had been talking a lot about the hymn, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past. She was thinking about it. She was claiming it. She was holding on to it. And it seemed as though for Ruth, those words summed up everything that she was and everything that she did and and the reason she did it. And in her final hours, it was as though she were leaning back into God's loving arms. And I suspect that as the days drew near, she wanted, she needed to be reminded of two things that all of us need to be reminded of. That her faith was firmly planted in the one true God. And that this great God would never leave her nor forsake her, no matter what. That morning, Ruth couldn't sing at that point. So on that Friday morning, the three of us sat around Ruth's bedside and we sang for her. Oh God, our help in ages past our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. On this day of death and grief, I pray that these words, truth, would fill our hearts, our minds, our souls, every part of our being, as it did hers. And as you open your heart to God, I pray that you will know the depths of his peace and that you may experience the heights of his love and that you may know the joy of life for which he created you. Amen.
Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for your presence with us today. As we go from this place and share this meal together, we want to give you thanks for the food and for the time of fellowship with which you will bless us. We ask, Father, that you will continue to pour out your spirit upon those who feel the sorrow of this day most deeply. And give us your grace through Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy